0: 2 Peter chapter 2, looking to the first three verses of 2 Peter chapter 2, I want us to carefully observe what the Apostle Peter affirms about false prophets. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Peter says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feign words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation Slumbereth not. It was John Charles Ryle, an English minister of the gospel in the 1800s, who said, Dislike of dogma is an epidemic which is just now doing great harm, and especially among young people. It produces what I must venture to call a jellyfish Christianity, a Christianity without bone or muscle, or power. Alas, it is a type of much of the religion of this day of which the leading principle is no dogma, no distinct tenets, no positive doctrine. We have hundreds of jellyfish clergymen who seem not to have a single bone in their body of divinity. They have no definite opinions. They are so afraid of extreme views that they have no views at all. We have thousands of jellyfish sermons preached every year, sermons without an edge or a point or corner, smooth as billiard balls, awakening no sinner and edifying no saint. And worst of all, we have myriads of jellyfish worshipers, respectable church going people who have no distinct and definite views about any point in theology. They cannot discern things that differ any more than colorblind people can distinguish colors. They are tossed to and fro like children by every wind of doctrine, ever ready for new things because they have no firm grasp on the old. John Charles Ryle goes on and says, Mark what I say. If you want to do good in these times, you must throw aside indecision And take up a distinct, sharply cut doctrinal religion. The victories of Christianity, wherever they have been won, have been won by distinct doctrinal theology. By telling men roundly of Christ's vicarious death and sacrifice, by showing them Christ's substitution on the cross and His precious blood, by teaching them justification by faith, and bidding them to believe on a crucified Savior by preaching ruin by sin, redemption by Christ, regeneration by the Spirit, by lifting up the brazen serpent, serpent, by telling men to look and live, to believe, repent, and be converted. Show us at this day any English village or parish or city or town or district which has been evangelized without dogma. Christianity without distinct doctrine is a powerless thing. No dogma, no fruits. End quote. Though J.C. Ryle's illustrative description of what he calls jellyfish Christianity is almost 200 years old. As we consider his words in the context of Christianity today and in the context of what Peter declares in 2 Peter chapter 2, we find that the same exact dangers that have always been Will always be. Sadly, there will always be a jellyfish faith in which professing Christians and church going worshipers will naively drift through life believing whatever the changing teachings of men persuade them to believe. And as I read Peter's words preserved for us in 2 Peter chapter 2, I perceive Peter doing everything in his power to make sure that those to whom he is writing do not become spineless, undiscerning, simple-minded jellyfish who are tossed to and fro in their beliefs and practices by every wind of doctrine. In fact, as I read 2 Peter chapter 2 in its entirety, I view Peter as a faithful watchman who is sounding an alarm to wake up and be alert. I view Peter as a loving shepherd, doing all that he can to make sure that Christ's sheep do not fall prey to the subtle attacks of Satan, the one who operates as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And in my personal reading and studying of Peter's words in the preparation of this sermon, I cannot help but be personally moved by the urgency, by the seriousness, and by the importance of God's people being watchful of false teachers who appear to be true, but are impostors. Listen, church, if ever there was a day in which Christians needed to be instructed about false teachers, surely it is our day. In the year 2024, we have more so-called Christian teaching that we are exposed to on a daily basis than Christians throughout history have ever been exposed to. In the world that we live in, there are more so-called preachers, more so-called pastors, and more so-called churches than this world has ever had. At our fingertips, through our phones, our computers, radios, television screens, books and audiobooks, there are more so-called Christian resources promising to communicate truth about God more than ever before. You think believers in Jesus' day and Peter's day were constantly confronted and bombarded by false teachers and false teachings. God's word plainly declares that with each passing day, as we move closer and closer to the return of Christ, things are only going to get worse. As we move closer and closer to the end, more and more of people among the church are going to depart from the faith. More and more people will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned unto fables. More and more false Christs and false prophets will arise that they may deceive many. So that being so, it would do us well, as we considered last week, to take diligent heed to the truths of God's word so that we might know what is true and what is false. And that being said, looking to verses 1 through 3 of 2 Peter chapter 2, I want to highlight seven distinct truths that God would have us comprehend about false teachers. Seven distinct truths characteristics of those whom God declares to be counterfeits. And the first foundational truth that Peter establishes in verse number one is the reality of their existence, and specifically their existence among God's people. If you're taking notes this morning, point number one is the existence of false prophets among God's people people notice what peter says peter says but there were false prophets also among the people speaking of israel of old even as there shall be false teachers among you and in this singular declaration peter is establishing the fact that satan's primary way of confusing attacking discrediting The authoritative truths of God's word has always been and always will be through infiltration. Peter says, as there were false prophets among the nation of Israel, so there will be false teachers among Christian circles. As there will be those who speak the truths of God's authoritative word who are truly sent by God, this is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Remember that God spoke His truth through holy men that He ordained. As that is so, so there will also be those who claim to speak for God who are speaking according to their own imagination. And it's important that we recognize that what Peter says here is only an echo of what Jesus preached to His disciples. Jesus said that among the church, there will be tares among the wheat. Jesus says, among the influence of Christendom, there will be wolves who appear to be sheep. There will be goats that mingle among the sheep. There will be those who verbally profess to know God with their mouth but their hearts are far from God. They will have an external form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Are you with me thus far? The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Satan has the ability to transform himself into an angel of light. And Satan's ministers have the ability to masquerade themselves as ministers of righteousness. False apostles. For what purpose? So that Satan might deceive others in knowing what is true about God. Well, let me explain this truth in a different way. Jesus and his apostles want us to understand that false teachers do not typically wear T-shirts Announcing their presence among the community and church. Uh, they do not typically wear bright neon ball caps that say, beware, I'm a false Christian proclaiming a false gospel. They do not have a tattoo on their forehead that affirms them to be a false angel of light, a servant of Satan. False teachers are not found at False Prophets Baptist Church. They do not reveal their presence at WolvesInSheepsClothing.com. Peter is teaching us that as false teachers infiltrate this world, they will pretend to be genuine proclaimers of the truth. This is truth number one. False teachers have always been and always will be among the associations of God's true sheep. One of the ways Satan seeks to attack God's church, God's people, and the truthfulness of God's word is by fashioning counterfeits, counterfeit Religious teachers, counterfeit pastors, counterfeit preachers, counterfeit Christians, counterfeit churches to deceive and to confuse. And as we look at the world, who can deny that Satan is at work? That's truth number one. If we're going to be watchful against the enemy's attack, if we are going to be a discerning people who faithfully preserve the purity of the church, then we must recognize that there will always be false teachers who claim to be Christian, who teach so-called Christian things. We cannot be naive. Listen, we cannot be naive in thinking that everyone who preaches the Bible is sound. We cannot be naive in thinking that every book that references the name of God is presenting biblical truth. We cannot be naive in affirming that everything we hear on YouTube is profitable to listen to. There's a truth to take home. What did you learn at church today? The pastor said, don't believe everything you see on YouTube. And yes, some people do. You laugh, but I cry in my office. The second truth that Peter declares about false teacher is their message. Peter wants us to be discerning not only about their presence, but also their message. Peter says, But there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now in the immediate reading of verse 1, it can be somewhat confusing to understand what Peter is saying because it seems as if Peter is saying that false teachers have been purchased by the Lord and thus false preachers belong to the Lord. Now, but this is certainly not the meaning of the text because God does not save people only to destroy people. Uh, the rest of the text interprets the meaning of the phrase for us. False teachers do not belong to Christ because Scripture says that God will bring damnation on their souls if they do not repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, that in the final day of judgment, those who have a counterfeit faith, those who are preaching a false gospel, will be separated from God for all of eternity because Jesus never knew them savingly. So we have to ask the question, well, what does Peter mean when he says that false teachers deny the Lord that bought them? Here it is. What he is saying is that false teachers are those who deny the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ as well as his power to save. And his power to save solely through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What do false teachers essentially teach? What is the bedrock of their doctrine? Here it is. They teach that Jesus is not the only sufficient Savior. They teach that Jesus is not the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. They affirm that He is not the singular mediator between holy God and sinful man. They deny that Jesus is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. False teachers deny that Jesus is God come in the flesh. In fact, John tells us that all these truths are demonstrated through the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is any teaching that disagrees with the biblical teaching of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. Listen, any teaching that distorts the biblical message about who Jesus is what Jesus has done for sinners on the cross, and what God does in the hearts of men, any teacher that distorts that message is a teacher of damnable heresy. Any teacher that adds or takes away from the biblical message of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus alone is a counterfeit message straight from the pit of hell. Are you still with me? Do you want to know how to spot a false teacher? Don't merely listen to what the one speaking says about God. Pay close attention to what the one claiming to speak for God does not say. Pay close attention to how much they speak about themselves more than God. Pay close attention to how much they speak about you more than Christ. Do you want to know how to spot a false teacher? Listen to how little they speak of and expound upon the authoritative truths of God's Word. Listen to how they say, God gave me a word. God gave me a vision. God gave me a revelation. Listen to their subtle assertions regarding how they feel that God would have them do this with no Bible verses backing up their feelings. Listen to them constantly say, I think, rather than say, thus saith the Lord. Listen to them charmingly say, God wants you to be happy. Jesus wants you to be successful, and you can have your best life now. Listen to how they tell you how wonderful you are. How you have the ability in and of yourselves to live for God how you can be victorious in life if you will believe in yourself. Rather than warning you to flee from the wrath to come, rather than preach Christ and Him crucified, rather than uplift Jesus' abilities, Jesus' accomplishments, Jesus' power to save, Jesus' rule and reign over all, there's a reason why many TV preachers never preach these things. There's a reason why TV preachers never mention anything about sin and repentance, hell, the holiness of God, the wrath of God, the need to examine your profession of faith and the absolute authority of God's word. There's a reason why TV preachers never warn you about false prophets. And to be clear, I'm not just talking about recognizable cults and false religions, that knowingly stand contrary to the truths of God's Word. I'm talking about those who claim to be Bible-believing Baptist churches. Yeah, I'm bringing it home now. I'm talking about those buildings that have Baptist printed on the side of them. I'm talking about those whose websites say, we preach Jesus and we desire that people would know the gospel. Do you want to know the essence of the message of false teaching? Here it is. Listen. Jesus is a nice Savior, but He's not Lord over all. He's a powerful Savior, but He's not an all-powerful Savior. He has the ability to save you from hell, but He does not have the ability to save you from your sin. He's worthy of worshiping on Sundays, but on Mondays through Saturday, you can live for yourself. If someone says you can be a genuine Christian while you habitually live as if Jesus is not your Savior and Lord, you need to mark such a message as unbiblical and heretical. Such a message is damnable heresy. And I'm persuaded that the foolish concept of carnal Christianity is among the greatest false gospels that has infiltrated the churches in America over the last 200 years. This is a ludicrous idea. This idea that you can accept Jesus as your Savior, but not as Lord. This idea that you can pray some magical man-made prayer and get an escape-out-of-hell-free card and go on living in sin like you once did. Uh, This is a ludicrous idea that you can profess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and live as if Satan is still the master of your life. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say?" Any system of doctrine that says Jesus is Lord but limits His power and His ability to do what He wants, how He wants, when He wants, to whomever He wants is presenting a different Jesus from Scripture. Any teaching that says, I know Jesus is Lord but He cannot save others from their sin because man is just too sinful. And man's will will always prevail is altogether blasphemous. And this essentially is the poisonous teaching that has infiltrated American Christianity Baptist churches through a man named Charles Finney. So many Christians uplift Charles Finney as some great hero of the faith. It's in even the paces of certain curriculums and in the curriculums of various Christian colleges, Charles Finney taught that man is not completely depraved. Charles Finney taught that man has the power and the ability to change his own heart. Charles Finney denied the doctrine of Christ's substitutionary atonement. Charles Finney denied the biblical truth that we need to be supernaturally regenerated by the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3, you must be born again. So listen, church, you can get mad at the Catholics and the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness for allowing false teachers to proclaim false gospels all you want. But we, the one who claim to be true Christians, we, the one who claim to be conservative Bible believers, are guilty of perverting the true gospel of Christ. Do you see how sly the devil is? The devil can get a group of people to believe that they are winning more people to the truth, that they are winning more souls to Christ when in reality they are causing the supposed converts of such zealous soul winners to be twofold the children of hell than they are. I'm persuaded that there are many Baptist ministers who are blind ministers leading blind congregants straight to hell because they truly believe and teach That because someone faithfully goes to church, because someone dresses modestly, because someone reads from the King James Version of the Bible, because someone repeated a prayer sometime, someone walked an aisle, someone signed a card that they're saved. You think false teachers are out of our circles of fellowship? Think again. Peter is saying they are among us. They call themselves conservative. They call themselves Bible believers. They call themselves Baptists, but they are counterfeit. They deny the Lord's sovereignty over all. So the first truth that Peter is establishing in our text is the truth that false teachers will be among us. The second truth that Peter is establishing in our text is the truth that false teachers will pervert the biblical message of salvation through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The third truth that Peter is establishing in our text is the manner in which they will come into the church and do ministry, their manner. And he notes it there in verse number one. Peter says that they will come in privily. They will come in quietly. Like I said, they will not come Blowing a horn, letting everyone know that they are there to deceive. In fact, they are convinced that they are true believers and true messengers of God. And Jesus reminds us that false teachers will outwardly appear to be sheep, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Paul and Jude make it clear that false brethren enter among the flock unexpectedly. They're similar to Judas. They pray, they preach, they interact as if they were true ministers of the gospel with smooth and flattering speeches, with great swelling words of vanity and with words of their own devising. They misinform others about who Jesus is and what God's word really says and means. This is the manner in which false prophets creep among Christ's vineyard. The manner of false prophets is the manner of the serpent in the garden. The manner is to come in calmly so that they can begin casting doubt on the authority and sufficiency of God's word by whispering, Did God really say that? Is God really God? Can God really be trusted? Is Jesus truly the Christ? Is faith alone sufficient to save? You see their manner? Their manner is to creep in quietly, unexpectedly, just casting doubts here and casting doubts there. It's the proverbial, how do you boil a frog in a pot? You just turn up the temperature slowly So he doesn't recognize the heat changes. And before you know it, you have him boiled. And then tied in with the third characteristic of false prophets is the fourth striking characteristic, which is the lifestyle of false prophets. The lifestyle of false prophets. Peter tells us in verse 3 that in order for God's people to be watchful of false teachers, they must understand that false teachers often, through their covetousness, make merchandise of others. Now, in the original language, the illustration being portrayed is as a traveling merchant who swindles others financially for their own profit. In other words, Peter is saying that false teachers will say anything and everything they have to say to sell their product so that they might get rich. If it means making you feel good, if it means making you feel guilty through manipulation, if it means playing on your emotions, if it means promising you spiritual blessings or assuring you a false hope, they are going to do it. Why? Because they have their eyes on driving that nice, shiny Aston Martin. They want to get that second home near the beach. Listen, false teachers are not concerned about the souls of men. They do not care if you are living for God. They do not care if you are pleased with their sermons, so long as you just keep sending money their way. And this is why so many preachers, so many pastors shy away from preaching the pure, unadulterated truths of the gospel. The gospel offends. The biblical gospel turns people away. And if people are turned away, listen, there won't be a big salary for the pastor. The pastor can't wear the silk suits and go out for steak dinners every night. So what do false preachers do? Here here it is. They preach safe sermons. They preach non-offensive sermons. They flatter you by telling you how loving God is, how accepting He is of you, and how angelic you are. And ironically, those living in sin keep supporting such pastors who flatter them because that's the message that they want to hear. Behold how the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Do you want to spot a true preacher from a false preacher? Do you want to spot a courageous preacher from a cowardly preacher? Take careful notice regarding who he is seeking to please in his sermons. Take careful notice regarding whether or not he tiptoes around certain biblical topics. If you will do this, many times you'll find a connection between what he says and how he says it with the size of his ministry and the luxurious lifestyle he has. Peter's teaching us in this fourth point to be watchful of the minister's attitude toward money. Now to be clear... Peter is not saying that the church needs to do everything they can to make sure that the pastor is humble by forcing him to live in poverty. He is not saying that the pastor cannot be blessed by nice things from time to time. But he is saying that many times false teachers are greedy. False teachers are materialistic and they do what they do for money. Money. This was the whole idea that Martin Luther King kicked against in the Reformation, The idea of purgatory, the idea that you can pay money to help those who have died, family members, to get out of this so-called place called purgatory. Meanwhile, the, the priests were becoming luxurious and heaping treasures upon themselves because people would truly believe that if I throw money into this pot, that somehow it will get my soul, the souls of men, out of purgatory. Many times there's a disconnect between what false preachers say in the pulpit and how they live day by day. That's point number four. The fourth truth that Peter declares about false teachers is their lifestyle. So thus far, in these three verses, we find four distinguishing characteristics of false teachers. Peter tells us the presence of false prophets, the message of false prophets, the manner of false prophets, and the lifestyle of false prophets. And this all connects to our fifth point, which is the motive of false prophets. The motive. Why do false prophets say what they say? Why do they do what they do? Well, we've already established the fact that many false teachers do what they do for money. But we also must recognize from this passage that they do what they do because they are self-will and they love the praise of men. Why do false teachers continue teaching falsely? Because that's what the majority wants. That's what carnal men want. Tell me how good I am. Don't talk about sin. Huh? And with many following them, wanting this message, false teachers relish in their numerical success. You see, false teachers do not love Christ. They do not love Scripture. They do not love your soul. They love themselves, and it shows. It's all about them. It's all about their image. It's all about their presence. It's all about their ministry, their popularity, their following, their success. While they say... Verbally, it's all about God. God gets all the honor and glory. If you step back and examine things honestly, you will see it's all about the man. And Jesus warned of this. Jesus said of the Pharisees and the unregenerate religious leaders of his day that they would appear spiritual before the eyes of others so that they might be recognized by men. But the true minister is the one who becomes the chiefest servant of all. The true minister is not the one who came to be served, but the one who serves. Why do false preachers, false prophets do what they do? Because they love themselves more than God. They want to be rich rather than helping the souls of men. And they love the acceptance of men. And then tied in with this fifth point is the sixth point, which is the following of false prophets. The following of false prophets. Notice carefully what Peter says at the beginning of verse 2. He says, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. He does not say that few will follow their pernicious way, but many will follow their pernicious ways. And this is the same exact truth that Peter heard Jesus declare. Jesus says, Matthew twenty four five, for many shall come in my name saying, "I am Christ," and shall deceive many. Matthew twenty four eleven, and many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. Matthew seven twenty two, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them the many, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. If there's one truth about numbers that Jesus and his apostles want God's people to understand, it is the truth that numbers do not always equate doctrinal soundness, genuineness, and having God's approval. Numbers do not equate faithfulness to God. Numbers do not signify spiritual success. We must never assume that just because some religion, some church, or some pastor has a large following, that they are unquestionably Christian and obviously blessed by God. Yet that's exactly what we do. We're often guilty by saying, well, that's a... Big church, and that's a big ministry. God must be doing something great over there, and that's a little church and a little ministry. Surely they are void of the Spirit and have a problem. We look at some supposed revivals. We look at the drooling over Hollywood productions that claim to be Christian, and we say, behold, God is unquestionably at work. And then as time passes, we see how unwise we were to assume that a large following meant that it was certainly of God. I like what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, long ago I ceased to count heads. Truth is usually in the minority in this evil world. So don't become googly-eyed over the mega churches. And the mega-ministries, there's a reason for it, often. Listen to what the Apostle John says in 1 John 2, 18 and 19. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be manifest that they were not all of us. And let's not forget that Jesus says the path leading to hell is broad and the path leading to heaven is narrow. So do not judge the biblical accuracy of a preacher by his following, but by his faithfulness to preach the whole counsel of God's word. Do not judge a ministry by its flashiness. Do not judge a ministry by its loudness. Do not judge a ministry by its outward sparkle. Judge it by its humility and its burning desire to do God's holy will. And then the seventh and final point that I want us to take note of in our text is the culmination of false prophets. The culmination of false prophets. Lest God's people should become discouraged by the knowledge that false teachers are present among the influences of Christianity, deceiving not a few but many, Peter wants us to recognize, lastly, that God is going to judge them in His own time and in His own way. False teachers are not going to get away with their evil acts. Verse 3. Though they, through covetous, with feigned words, seek to make merchandise of other, Peter says their judgment now lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Verse 12. False teachers who speak evil of Christ and His word shall perish in their own corruption. Verse 13, they will receive the reward of their unrighteousness. Why does Peter intermingle this truth within this warning? Here it is, because it's possible for God's people to become weary in well-doing. We're seeking to be true and faithful to God and we're pressed on every side by false teachers and false messages. Should we just throw in the towel and be done with it all? Peter says, no. Keep preaching the truth and know that God has his eyes on those who are working evil. Lest we should be troubled. Troubled that God does not know and see all that is happening in His name among His churches, God would have us to remember that there is coming a day of judgment where all who have perverted the truths of God will receive the wages of their sin. No one gets away with anything, especially those who pretend to be true ministers. Now, we will explore this truth further, God willing, in our next sermon. But for this morning, the application for us is to stay alert. The application for us is to be watchful and to be discerning. The application for us is to keep our hearts and our minds fixed upon the unchanging truths of God's Word. Why? so that we will know the truth and walk in the truth. Let me conclude this morning by saying once again that if you are trusting in anything other than Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to save your soul, you are deceived and you need to be born again. If you claim to be Christian, but you do not have a burning love for God in your heart, You do not have a true desire to do the will of Christ. You have been misinformed by a false teacher. If you think being good will get you to heaven, if you think striving to obey the Ten Commandments will make you right with God, if you think being baptized will wash away your sin, if you think going to church faithfully is all that is needed to become a Christian, then you have been swindled by a false teacher. And you need to humble yourself. And you need to submit yourself to the truth of the gospel given to us in God's holy word. I do not say this to hurt you. I say this to help you. I do not say it to condemn you. I say it so that you might consider yourself in the light of the truth of God's word so that you might know the truth And the truth might set you free. And who is it that is the truth that can set you free? Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goeth unto the Father except through me. Jesus did not say, I am a way. He said, I am the way, the only way. You must go through Him alone, if you are to be saved. If the Son of God shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Is that you this morning? Do you need Christ? Do you need to be converted? Do you need to be born again? Has there been a time and a place where you have understood that you are a great sinner in need of a great Savior? Uh, Have you cast aside all hope of trying to save yourself and cast yourself at the mercy of God to save you? And then from that time, was there change? Was there a desire to do God's will? I didn't ask if there was perfection. I asked, was there a love for Christ? If not, today's the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Jesus Christ will receive you if you will believe on his name.